Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots Podcast here on the Whole Nine Sports Network. I am your host, Mike Hernition. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Spencer WNS. I am the lead Big Ten draft writer for Whole Nine Sports, joined by my good buddy Devin Jackson. Devin, how you doing, my friend? What do you do? What's up, man? I'm also are you, Twitter. Are as- you only doing that because I'm Canadian? What do you do, baby? Had to show up baby? to. Had to, had to show love to Canada real quick. But, yep, Devin Jackson here. <laughs> uh, Real D underscore Jackson on Twitter. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting week to talk about. I mean, we got transfers, possibly people sitting out. You got this thing in the air that you're about to drop. I mean, let's, let's go ahead and get it going, man. All right. So I, I've been teasing Devin with this all day. And I didn't let him know what it was going to be. But can I just say, there is nothing more annoying to me when I'm trying to enjoy my football than really shitty commercials. <laughs> I work in marketing. I hate 90% of the ads that appear on my television. Which is why I record games and watch them later. Which is why you generally don't see me live tweeting games. Because when I'm watching football on a Saturday... I do not need to see any more of those fucking Dr. Pepper ads. I am sick and tired of the Fanville ad campaign. Send it to the sun. Set it on fire. Kill it with fire. It is a terrible ad campaign. They're not funny. They're not entertaining. No one actually drinks Dr. Pepper. The Larry Culpepper, I invented the college football playoff one from that year. That was terrible, too. The... Thursday night football, let's get two really bad actors pretending to be fans yelling at each other like they're in like third grade insult class. Those are terrible. And that's just the football ones. You throw in these progressive ads that stopped being entertaining a (laughs) decade ago, and I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with bad commercials clogging up my football. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into the news for this week, all right? Now, our news is surrounding really two teams, and like you said, potential transfers. Um, Our boss, Brandon Olson, and our good buddy, Dylan Sanders, earlier this week on the Whole Nine Sports Podcast, if you haven't checked that out, you should, talked about the Rutgers duo of Art Sikowski and uh, Raheem Blackshear. They're planning on sitting out the rest of the year with this coaching vacancy up in the air they're not going to transfer i don't know if they'd really start anywhere else so i'm not even sure it'd be worth it to try to transfer what do you make of this honestly i think good for them i mean i wouldn't want to play for rutgers right now either so there's so much up in the air why would you waste an entire year where you're not going to compete you might not win another game. So all you're going to do is possibly hurt your draft stock if you have any and risk risk injury for games that don't matter because they obviously don't care about the season because they waited until three, four games in to fire the guy. I mean, it's it's time. I mean, the, the redshirt rule is certainly becoming is going to continue to be polarizing because you're going to start seeing more and more players if they don't like the situation. 
if there's a coaching change, is there if there's a new coach coming in, then you're going to see a lot of these players start to redshirt because they can <clears throat> and possibly transfer or get another year to learn this new system or new defense or whatever and just earn another year of eligibility that they can possibly use to get to the league. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, Sikowski's a, a true sophomore. Raheem Blackshear is a junior. So they do – they have the <coughs> option. Blackshear – Maybe, maybe he's taking this time to, I don't know, hashtag become a wide receiver. Uh, because, like, the man's got 29 carries on the season through four games. He's also got 29 catches. Just make him a damn receiver. We went through that last week. But, like, uh, by the way, just a side note, we are going to be on all of the major platforms at the time of re releasing this. You don't have to wait a couple of hours for us to be on Spotify, and you don't have to wait a couple of days for us to be on iTunes. So that's uh, that's some big news there. Big news. Make sure y'all listen on every single platform because like, it's that important. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we can keep bringing you every week the good stuff. Now, the next three bits of news I have are all per uh, pertaining sorry, to uh, Purdue. Rondale Moore, his injury is listed as week to week, so he's likely out this coming week. Uh, but I mean, at least it's, it's looking good considering it was a scary looking injury at the time. Yeah. It looked like he had a major knee injury by just the way he fell, but it ended up being a hamstring injury. And really it's going to come down to whether he can tolerate it or not. Um, and how much pain tolerance he just throughout the season. So it'll be interesting to see how effective he is one and then how, um, I guess elusive he looks in open field with the ball in his hands. Does he still look as explosive as he did before the injury? And I mean, sure. they, they certainly need him on offense because, man, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but the offense yeah. is not like pretty. Uh, speaking of not pretty, that Elijah Sindelar injury, he's likely done for the season. Uh, according to Coach Brom this week, Elijah Sindelar is likely at six to eight weeks. Uh, that's Purdue's season. They they're they're not going to be bowl eligible. But you know what should be make them bowl eligible on their own, Devin? Have you seen their moonwalk uniforms that they're that they're putting out on the field this weekend? Yes, I am oh a huge my. fan. Huge. So, for those who don't know, it's like the fiftieth anniversary of the moon landing. I think I'm not. I'm Canadian. I don't know these things. Um. And Neil Armstrong is a Purdue alumni, so they're doing a, uh, like, the P, it's an all-white helmet with a silver P for the logo, and it's, like, done to kind of look like the moon surface. Oh, they are, they are badass. Yeah. They are, then, just, they are badass. Then, like, on the top stripe of, like, the helmet, they got, like, the footprints oh, from the moon. I didn't even see there. that. Oh, that, that sounds... They better win in those. In those, like they have to. They have to. Well, we'll, we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later in the show. But uh, let's let's talk about the week that was. So we're gonna start with a with a little bit of a lob ball one that we can get through pretty quickly. Um, Kent State went to Wisconsin, and Jonathan Taylor got me fifty three fantasy points in the first half because uh, he had five touchdowns in the first half. 48-0 Wisconsin. Takeaway from this game, is Jonathan Taylor the front runner for the Heisman? Uh, I think he's in a discussion. I wouldn't say he's the front runner, 
but he's definitely, he's definitely in the discussion. And it, it just comes down to these next couple weeks when they start to play better opponents. Will, he, sure. continue, will he continue to be effective? Uh, and will Wisconsin's offense continue to move the ball against much better defenses? So I think that's what it'll come down to. Well, for me, I mean, uh, it's kind of been a three-headed race between him, Travis Etienne from Clemson, and um, and DeAndre Swift. They're all kind of very closely knit, but he's, I mean, I know it's Kent State, but five touchdowns and a half. Um, in terms of, like, RB1, I think he's the clear Heisman frontrunner. Um, now, I posed this, we posed this question on Twitter, and by the way, we do have a Twitter account, at Big Shots Podcast. Who's the better litmus test? Is it Rutgers or is it Kent State? Right now, it looks like Kent State because because <laughs> Rutgers doesn't have they have no answer. They got like, nothing. They have no coach, no running back, no quarterback, no wide have, receiver. It's honestly uh, a miracle that they scored, which we'll we'll talk about in yeah uh, in, in a couple minutes. But <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I am. I'm very surprised that they score. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time on the preview for this game last week because we knew it was going to be a blowout. It turned out to be a blowout. Um, I would still say, you know what? I, I'm just calling it a push. They both suck. Um, let's move on to a game that was slightly more interesting. Uh, Purdue with out their star quarterback, star wide receiver, they were missing Lorenzo Neal on the defensive line. Marcus Bailey, their best linebacker, is out for the season, as well as like a good five or ten other players that are key contributors to them were out for this game. Um, and Devin being in that area, what was the reaction when Penn State put up ten sacks on Purdue? By the way, we called. You said three sacks for Yitor Grossmatos. He got two in like the first five minutes of the game. It seemed. Yeah, uh, it was. An absolute dominant performance. I mean, we knew Purdue wasn't going to be able to protect protect their guy, uh, Jake Plummer, and it showed early and often. I mean, pretty much every drop back, he had pressure. He was running for his life the entire game. I mean, I mean, what can you do as a freshman? I mean, you, you get thrown into this fire, and you're playing one of the best defensive lines in the Big Ten, uh, maybe in the country. I mean, what is he supposed to do? I mean, and they kept dropping him back on third and long, like expecting him to make some throws when he has no protection, no time. And but, they've got no running game either. No. Uh, King Daru was like their only hope, and he really wasn't effective. It, there was just nothing they could do. I mean, uh, this is another game where I, I was just surprised that they scored a touchdown <laughs> because they literally had no time to throw in the entire game. And even on the touchdown throw, he like took two steps and just flung it. You know, he yeah. threw a nice back shoulder pass. But, yeah, Penn State's defensive line dominant. Uh, Yeter was dominant. He could have – he. I think he actually got three sacks, but they, like, didn't give him credit for a sack because he didn't, like, technically tackle him to the ground. Oh, so, he just kind of fell in around. Yeah, well, I thought that there was something up with, with that because I watched the condensed game. I'm like, I thought he got a third sack. He did get a third sack. And then I looked at ESPN. I'm like, where's that third sack? Yeah, like, so – Plummer had, like, kind of escaped, but then he fell, like, on after two steps later, like, after, like, Matos, like, tripped him up. So, I guess that wasn't, like, a full sack or whatever. But in my book, it was three. Uh, another guy that I posted on Twitter, make sure you follow the Twitter account, RealD underscore Jackson, Shaka Tony. Uh, I, 
I'm big uh, on first him. round name. First round name. He played yeah. hard too. Yeah, like I said, when like you quoted me earlier this week, when you have a unique name like that, you have to be a baller. Uh, and he balled. Yeah, Shaka Tony. Uh, he already has hit five sacks this season. That's all. That's all. All like his total from last season. And yeah. he is super. He might be even has a faster get off than Yeter. And that's insane to think because Yeter is like so talented and he's a, a lot more refined as a player than uh, Shaka Tony. Because Shaka Tony, he's still learning and he, he has five sacks already. And I expect him to come back next next season. And he could be even better. And he could be in the edge discuss, discussion for next year. So Penn State is trying to build that kind of reputation to have solid, you know, guys guys come in. Yeah, it was it was a very solid day for that Penn State defense. Uh, Shaka Tony, like you said, I mean, Yitor Gross made us maybe the better uh, pro prospect, but I think Shaka Tony might be the better college player, which is saying a lot. Um, another takeaway I took from this was that Sean Clifford was dealing. Uh, it seemed like well, we know that Purdue's defense is not good, and well, picking apart a beaten up. Purdue defense is not exactly the most um, impressive, but he played really well. And my last takeaway, I literally just have in our rundown, just poor Purdue. Like, they just, you said it last week, they're the unluckiest team in the conference. Everything that can go wrong for them has gone wrong. And at some point, like, I, I, they're, I'm looking at, like, coaches that are on the hot seat, and I saw uh, Coach Braun's name, and I'm just sitting there reading that, like, are you kidding me? Like, What is he supposed to do? He, he, there's nothing he can do. You lose, like, your five best players. I mean, what do you expect him to do? It would be like Ohio State losing Dobbins, Chase Young, uh, Justin Fields, uh, a receiver, Jeff Okuda. Okuda. Like, like, yeah, like, like, they'd be fucked. <laughs> Like, they would still be pretty good, but they definitely wouldn't be at the level that they're at right now. Like, come on, man. Like, Purdue is already it's already hard to recruit there and get top prospects there. So putting them at a disadvantage with all these injuries, I mean, they're like the NFL version of the Chargers, like, in the yeah, last they're, they're, five they're, or six years. They are, they are Chargers College Midwest. Like, <laughs> I want to breeze through this next game as quick as I can. But there's just there's so much to unwrap with this game. But I feel like I aged about 20 years watching this. All right? Like, again, I don't watch my games live. I had errands to run on Saturday. I felt like, you know, I, I mentioned this to you on Twitter, Devin. I was in a, a bit of a predicament. I won't get into the, uh, to the extent of said predicament. But I feel like having to go home and watch this game was my punishment for it. I just because can't. Iowa and Michigan. Dude, what the fuck? What? Pardon what's... my language. I'm trying not to cuss <laughs> on this podcast. I really am. But what the hell was this game? First of all, they start off, and the, the first thing that the commentators say is. I was so good at protecting the football. The very <laughs> first play from scrimmage, they fumble. The very first one. I knew this game was going to be a crapshoot as soon as that happened. Um, I mean, this game, this game was great for the irony because, and, and I'll get into this in a second. Uh, Nate Stanley, I was wrong last week when I gave him <laughs> any form of credit. 
Because I said he looked like Dak Prescott when Dak Prescott was in college. No, he apparently is Blake Bortles. Oh my god. Speaking of irony and immediately forecasting the inevitable, Nate Stanley's gone through four games and he's not thrown an interception. That play throws an interception. I'll tell you what, man. I'm, and, and, then, I'm, and, then the, and then Shea Patterson throws a pick on the next play. <laughs> so, like, Iowa didn't even, like, really get punished for throwing a pick. It's just like, oh, well, Michigan doesn't want the ball either. But that's okay because how do you – how does Iowa respond to that? Like, three plays after getting an interception, after throwing an interception, what did they do, Devin? Throw he threw right another interception. He went from throwing zero interceptions to throwing three – in like a half, all of them were terrible. Shea Patterson and Nate Stanley could not complete passes where the receiver was like five yards away from them. They're overthrowing dump-off passes. This game sucked. This game felt like it went on for about three and a half months. I, I, I said to you before we started that like I watched up until the first half and then on Sunday... After everyone in my house had gone to bed, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to finish Iowa and Michigan. And I got into, I got like five minutes into the fourth quarter, and I just, I, I, I didn't want to, to, to harm myself anymore by having to watch this game. Um, Iowa's offensive line apparently uh, just, just collapsed on the field. Because Alaric Jackson, I know he was coming off an injury, but you got beat by a dude that I've never heard of before, multiple times. Tristan Wirfs, who was supposed to be a top tackle you know, prospect in this class, much like Alaric Jackson, somehow played even worse than Alaric Jackson. Nathan Stanley went from, I thought he was going to be a capable backup for years to come in the NFL, to... I'm not sure you're better than Shea Patterson. What did I do to deserve this game? I don't want to hear anyone at Whole Nine Sports ever complain that they had to sit through a boring game because in, it, it, here are some of the games I've had to punish myself to sit through. I've had to sit through this. I've had to sit through Northwestern and and and, um, and, and Wisconsin from a couple weeks ago. I have had to sit through Michigan almost losing to Army. I've had to see them almost lose to Mid-Tennessee State. I've had to see Michigan play a lot, and I'm not happy with any of it. <laughs> I am done talking about this game. Go ahead. Whatever you want to say. Well, first of all, <laughs> Gus Johnson. I love Gus Johnson so much. but His voice was wasted on this game. Yes, it was. This is not. This is not. He should not be allowed to play. Be on any other Michigan game this season because we are wasting his talent. That's one. Two. Ohio State. Yes, he yeah. should be on all of their games. Yes, I, I would love to him to like yell and, and spaz to a microphone <laughs> when Fields throws a, a scrambling sixty-yard bomb. But anyway, second of all, we're done with Nate Stanley. Uh, we're, been, we're done. We're done. Uh, I'm, we're, I'm out. One game, and I'm out. And and this is this is what he does. This is what he's done the last couple of years. He's played really well against non-conference opponents, and then you get to Big Ten play, you don't really look that great. I mean, their first conference game, I guess, put quotations around conference was Rutgers. I mean, <laughs> that's not a conference game. That's a cupcake. 
Like, come on, man. And they won what thirty to zero. I mean, I mean, we should have we should have got the the moment from there. Like, their <laughs> our offense really isn't that deal. But then they went off last week uh, against Mid Tennessee State. So you know, we had to toot their horn a little bit. But man, that was never again. The, that was some of the worst offensive football <laughs> I've seen this season. I mean, I I would honestly rather watch Air Force. In Army play, Air Force and Navy. I I would rather watch triple option all game than that because there were so many bad throws in this game by both sides. Nate Stanley just throwing the ball up into double and triple coverage. Uh, Shea Patterson, he man, it he he made like a couple good throws in the first quarter, and then like at the game, rest of the game, forget about it. I mean. Good Lord. I mean, they have so many – Michigan has so many weapons. There's no reason they should be only scoring 10 points in a conference game against Iowa, a team that's literally given them the ball every other play. <laughs> what what I got from this game is neither team values, values the pigskin whatsoever. This is the most boring game I have watched since a couple years ago when Virginia Tech and Wake Forest went into overtime tied at zero. Yes, it's, it's, I remember that game. I watched it. It was for the pure schadenfreude. It was it was painful to watch. So was this. Um, moving on to a game that I, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I watched zero seconds of this game. Maryland stomped a mud hole in Rutgers 48-7. to And my takeaway from this game is, sorry, Rutgers. And that's all I've got. There's really not much to say. I mean, we in a preview, I mean, last week we, we said what this was going to be. And then we then we didn't even find out that Arsikowski and Raheem Blackshear weren't playing. And if we knew that before the game, we wouldn't even waste the time to even go through an actual preview of this game because they had absolutely no chance. None. Yeah. Like, what did they do to deserve? Th- this is like we talked about. This we last need to week. demote them to like the Ivy League because, like, I know they're not like academically anywhere close to that, but they like. I wonder if they could beat Harvard at this point. Like they're just they're just bad. I don't want to spend really any more time talking about like Michigan and Iowa this week or Rutgers. This is a very kind of uh, some man. Some, we get like some really good games with the Big Ten, and then we get some really just like either blowouts or we just get uninteresting, boring football at times. Yeah, I mean, it, you it's really hit or miss. Like you'll get some really close games, and then. You'll just get blowouts. It's been majority of the games have been blowouts, and then you get like one or two good games every week if you're yeah, if we're lucky. I mean, put, hang on, I I, I just want to look this up because I I can't remember exactly offhand, but uh, I I just want to know on average how badly Rutgers is losing these games. Let's see, thirty two points right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, There's, next topic. <laughs> yeah, next topic. I'm done. Yeah, all right. Um, so, you know what was fun to watch? Minnesota and Illinois. I knew this was going to be a fun game to watch. And yes, the, sto- the score does not represent how fun of a game this was. Uh, Illinois lost 40-17. to 17, But uh, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Illinois. Because really, the exciting part all happened for Minnesota. We've seen them go from a pound-the-rock type of team with a three-headed monster to kind of an air-it-out team because the running game couldn't get it going. 
And then this week, the running game just took over. Rodney Smith, 21, uh, uh, 24 carries for 211 yards and two touchdowns. Shannon Brooks, 111 yards in his second game back off of an injury and a touchdown on his own. That Tyler Johnson bobbling one-handed catch. Like, I'm sorry, Illinois. Like, you... Nothing you did was important. This was Minnesota. This was their coming out party. Uh, Rodney Smith, man. Whew. Yeah, he's he's back healthy, and it shows. I mean, you had uh, Ibrahim step in last season. He did really well. Um, I have seen nothing from him. I, uh, is he hurt? I no, he. Hurt. I think they're just focusing on Shannon Brooks and Rodney Smith uh, because – uh, they're, I think they're just a little bit more experienced and a little bit better than Ibrahim. And I think they also want to get Ibrahim his own time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when, when it's his time, he has the eligibility left. <clears throat> and they're so stacked at the running back position. I know. He, he is, according to Minnesota Star Tribune, he is out with an injury. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think I think even when healthy, they still gave majority of the carries to Rodney Smith and uh, Shannon Brooks. But yeah, the running game was very impressive. Um, just only one, the only couple negatives I had for Minnesota, uh, Tyler Johnson, he had that really highlight catch, but uh, I, w- I watched most of the game and he had a couple drops that were kind of point blank, uh, like hit him right in the hands. And one of them, he could have probably taken like 60 yards for a touchdown. Uh, so I, I definitely want to see his consistency continue to stay true. Uh, Tanner Morgan continue to make better decisions because the two touchdowns Illinois had were defensive touchdowns. <laughs> 14 of their 17 points came on defense. That's how bad I didn't I see was. anything from, from, from our guy, Reggie Corbin in this game too. So I kind of knew that something was up with Illinois. Yeah. Well, um, well they had their quarter uh, last point here before we go ahead and move. Yeah. On. No worries. Um, the quarterback, Brandon Peters got hurt. Granted, he really wasn't that good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but he got hurt. He left the game with an injury. Backup came in, and, you know, that smells doom. Um, yeah. So that, that was pretty much their offense. They had Reggie Corbin. Uh, he broke a couple six, seven-yard runs, eight-yard runs, but for the most part they had him bottled up. And then once they started the trail, I mean, he abandoned the run game. So uh, you know, once, once again, it's, it's another game. You're wasting his talent. I mean, Lovey Smith, I think he's on the hot seat. Uh, that's something. That's something I didn't. Uh, I forgot to tell you to add to the conversation, but mm-hmm. I think he's on the hot seat because they're not looking good. I mean, their offense looks awful. When re- I wrote this in uh, the preview, well, the review of Week Six that's coming out tomorrow on well on Tuesday. This podcast will be released on Wednesday, um, and check that on whole9sports.com and the whole nine sports Twitter. But it's Reggie Corbin or bust for Illinois' offense. If he doesn't break off a big run, their offense won't move at all because then they get in these predictable third and long situations. Their quarterbacks aren't good enough to consistently find open men or read defenses for that aspect. Uh, and they end up dumping the ball off short, five, six yards short, uh, or they're overthrowing or whatever. And it, it just turns to a, a vicious cycle and – I think Illinois needs a offensive-minded coach, and I don't think Lovey Smith, he's not that. He's definitely defensive-minded, and they're giving up 330 rush yards in the last two big 
10 games combined, Nebraska and uh, Minnesota. They, they gave up 328 against Nebraska, 332 against Minnesota. Oh. So they can't, they can't stop the run. And when you can't stop the run at Big Ten, they're just going to keep running the ball. <laughs> they're not going to stop. And, and, and not only that, not only that, I mean, I mentioned in my um, article that came out a couple weeks ago on Hole 9, I did a like a national uh, hot seat ranking for the country. And, and Lovey Smith is on that. Uh, this was after the Eastern Michigan game where they lost. Uh, I mean, I put in my, in my preview for this week, like, Minnesota could have gotten into this game like one and three. Illinois could have been four and zero oh because they just had so many close calls. But I mean, at some point, Lovey, you, you gotta you gotta finish these games. And well, I mean, this week they just they weren't really in it. But I mean, Minnesota, good on them for actually kind of coming through and not having to rely on some late. You know some late shenanigans in order to to pull out the W. They they kind of dominated the game from the get go. Um, another game where I mean I could I could probably do a complete blind review of this game and have it pretty much on on the head. Northwestern at, at Nebraska. Northwestern <laughs> falls to one and four on the season. Nebraska now three and two uh, or four and two. Nebraska is a two-loss team, regardless. Um, they went in. They played uh, boring, uninspired football. Adrian Martinez still can't throw a ball. Uh, Northwestern probably went through two or three different quarterbacks. None of them know how to throw a football. And uh, Devin took a little nap during the game. This is all pretty much accurate. Except uh, <laughs> that Northwestern actually only played one quarterback. Really? Uh, and it was not Hunter Johnson. <laughs> At least so, they learned from their mistake. Man, he has been bad this year. It's good. At least one team has realized that a five-star quarterback in high school does not always translate. <clears throat> Michigan. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was an ugly football game. Uh, and if it wasn't for the Michigan-Iowa game, this would be the worst game of the week because... <laughs> It was it was just like eat, it's like eating oatmeal <laughs> and watching and watching paint dry because there was nothing inspiring about this game at all coming into the game and there was nothing inspiring about the play and I sat and watched Scott Frost like interview today because like they have their weekly uh, availability today on like the Big Ten Network yeah and he he was just like. I mean, I guess he was probably. I thought win. Nebraska was supposed to have a fun, up-tempo, high-scoring offense because you know that's what Scott Frost did at Oregon, and that's what he did at UCF, and he just can't do it at Nebraska, and it's boring to watch them. They're a boring team. They're uninteresting. They don't have a lot of prospects. They have almost no prospects on offense, which is supposed to be their calling card. They managed to make a high-tempo. Option style offense, like the you know, like spread offense style offense, like he ran at those last two jobs. They managed to make that boring, and I don't know how. And I'm sorry, Nebraska, you're still you may be four and two, you still suck. You're carrying over that offensive suckitude from last year with you. 
I need you to get the stench of your just boringness away from me. Learn how to play interesting football and then come back to me. You will make a bowl game this year. You will play in a very boring bowl game. Holiday bowl. <laughs> that's. Uh. I feel like that's where they're headed. Uh, beside, <laughs> beside two side notes here. Uh, one, Adrian Martinez left the game in the end of the third quarter oh. uh, with a leg injury. So it, his, are they saying it's serious? Let me. Uh, they're saying it's not too serious. Him and JD Spielman both left the game with low, lower leg injuries. That's uh, why Spielman did nothing on my yeah, fantasy team. Okay. E- exactly. <laughs> Side note: um, Wandale Robinson is their best offensive player right now. He's a freshman, which is sad. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> and then, final note here: the backup quarterback for Nebraska, uh, Noah Verdell, Verdell, however you say his name. Uh, he was actually at UCF with Scott Frost, and he came over. Really? When he left. He's probably Nebraska. wishing he stayed at UCF. He's probably wishing that, but I bring this up to say he might run the offense better than Adrian Martinez <laughs> if he doesn't play this week. Uh. So that will be something to keep an eye on because he knows Scott Frost's offense back at UCF. That's- that is so, true. and you see Adrian Martinez, a lot of the times he's trying to improvise. So maybe we could see, I, I know you like the Eagles, maybe we could see a Nick Foles type thing here. This is me wishing that Nebraska was a little bit better, but maybe he comes in and somehow, I mean, he made the biggest play of the game. He got them to a field goal range with a 31-yard wheel route completion to Wondell Robinson uh, late in the game that got him to that game-winning field goal. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on, which, you know, once again, I, I don't think um, Nebraska looks like they're headed for six and six, seven and five this season. But as I said, on, as I said on Twitter, we we just the mushy middle of the Big Ten just keeps expanding by the week. Once you get past really the top three teams, it's from like three till twelve where they're all essentially the same meh. Like, yeah. it's basically Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, maybe Michigan State in there as well, and then everything below there until you hit, like, Purdue and Rutgers. Just, they're all the same team. All the, they're all the same team. Speaking of Michigan State, um, this was a very fun game to watch. Uh, uh, go ahead. I, I'm just so frustrated because... There's one specific moment in this game where Michigan State could have made this a serious game that went down to the wire, and they missed it. I'm just still mad about it today, but go ahead. All right. So my takeaways, uh, I think that Ohio State is the best team in the country because uh, they have not lost a game. Sorry, they have not won a game by less than, I believe, 45 points. They have just been mollywhopping teams. Michigan State kept it close. Credit to Michigan State. Joe Bocci is even better than we thought. Like, his stock continues to rise. And Brian Lewerke played well, but, and I know you're going to pick up on this in a minute, he just did not play well enough. Yeah, I mean, like I said, once again, I, I did some Twitter clips. He made some really tough throws, and he was getting hit. He, he used his eye manipulation um, he did it all and he didn't have help from Daryl Stewart, uh, because after he scored that early touchdown, he dropped 
like three or four passes. And oh, Stewart played horribly in this game. And he got he got too emotional. He got caught up in the emotion because Okuda did rip his helmet off on that touchdown. Um, that was a missed call. But he his emotions took over in the game, and he he screwed their offense because there was a couple times on third down that he simply dropped the ball, and it was really awful because Michigan State's offense looked pretty good against a pretty good defense. I mean, Lewerke was standing there. He was delivering. I mean, he really didn't take many sacks. He only got sacked two or three times, which is good because he, he saw you know quite a bit of pressure from Chase Young, who only had half a sack. Uh, and they did a pretty good job kind of containing him. So I'm kind of impressed with that. But the, the, specific, the, specific, the specific play I'm talking about was like mid-second quarter. It was like a third and six. Uh, they were like Ohio State's like 15-yard line or something like that. Lewerke kind of climbs the pocket. Uh, you know, he goes through his progressions. He has Cody White wide open, like on a shallow crossing route. And nobody's covering him, and he walks into the end zone if he lays it on him. He overthrew it by like ten yards, yeah, and, he's, and he's I still having those issues. I tweeted that when it happened. I'm like, that may be the reason why they lose this game, and it ended up. It's not the sole reason they lost the game because Dobbins went absolutely bonkers in the second and third quarter. But that was like the single moment that really changed the shift because Michigan State dominated that first quarter. Their front seven was unstoppable and Justin Fields looked lost out there. Like he looked really confused because Michigan State's pressure was ratcheting up. Their coverage was really good. Uh, and they were tackling in space. Second quarter, completely different story. It was it was it was a very good game still to watch. I mean you mentioned Michigan State's front seven. How about Raekwon Will uh Raekwon Williams man? Whoo he and he's a guy that you can find in my stock watch article that uh, should have either come out today when you're listening to this on Wednesday or will be coming out on Thursday. He's definitely a stock up guy. He had 11 tackles coming into the game. He had eight in just against uh, Ohio State. And I mentioned like, well, this game really made me go back and watch and he has like the quietest three and a half sacks. I've seen from an interior defensive lineman in the Big Ten. Yeah, like, when you when you have uh, Joe Bocci coming from the linebacker position, making ties, you got the um, what's their name? The brothers, Panashooks. Yeah, the Panashook brothers. Uh, I think Mike had a really good game. One of Jacob them, got banged up. Yeah, Mike had a really good game. Um, when you have those guys there, and then you got Kenny Willikis, who had a quiet kind of a quiet game. Him and Bo Chase Young. Uh, really didn't take over the game like we thought they might. Um, but those other guys on Michigan State's front seven stepped up uh, huge. And honestly, if Michigan State's offense kept pace, we could have really saw aim where Ohio State may have gotten tight in the late in the third, fourth quarter because they really haven't been challenged yet yeah. at that time. Um, so, I mean, that's going to put a wrap on the preview for last or Sorry, the review for last week. Um, let's take a look at the preview for this week. I want to kind of get through some of these a little quicker because we do have some, uh, some fan mail or 
we have some questions that we gotta uh, uh, that we gotta answer. So first game up, number sixteen, Michigan. How they're ranked sixteenth, I don't understand. At Illinois, so momentum question mark does it really count if you beat a team that was trying to help you win i guess i mean they're playing they're playing illinois and michigan's run game really hasn't taken that step we've seen expected them to take yet um so that should be interesting to watch but illinois can't stop the run so I definitely expect them, to, like Charbonnet, to have a really big day. Shea Patterson will probably have a nice day running because they're probably going to try to crash down, and I mean he'll pull on his own read. So I mean that's that's gonna it's gonna be a game that probably Michigan wins ugly. I, I don't think this is a team you're going to see really blow anybody this season. Uh, with probably the not. <laughs> with the exception of the Rutgers game, of course. That's just because it's Rutgers. Yeah. Second question, which Michigan defense will show up? The one that actually played really well against Iowa and uh, and Rutgers, or the one that got trounced by a very efficient running game in Wisconsin? Uh, well, considering this is a noon game, <laughs> I think their defense <laughs> is going to show because Illinois uh, left their offense back at the Nebraska game. So. <laughs> All right, that so uh, time to pick this game. Are you taking Michigan or are you taking Illinois? Michigan, twenty-four to three. I'm gonna say Michigan. I don't think they're capable of putting up twenty-four points at this point in the season. Um, I think there's gonna be another one that's gonna be extremely boring to watch. Uh, and I'm gonna say Michigan takes this seventeen to six. I hope to God this is not the noon game on ABC in my region. Um, next up, Rutgers and Indiana. So, first question, I think we answered this a little bit earlier, but how bad is Rutgers going to look without their two best players? Because, believe it or not, despite being horrendous last year, Art Sitkowski has become one of their best players. And he, like, I mean, if you guys want a laugh, just go look up the individual stat lines for Art Sitkowski's freshman year. They are, you will actually think you're reading typos. How will Rutgers do now that though that him and Raheem Blackshear aren't there? They will do as good as they did with them. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. So, second question. We've seen him do exactly nothing since we started this podcast. Nick Westbrook, does he get going against, well, Rutgers? Because everyone seems to get going against Rutgers. I don't think he really has a choice. I mean, they're going... <laughs> he, he, he will catch this ball whether he wants to or not. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how India kind of, Indiana kind of bounces back. I think India they, could, could beat Rutgers. Like. <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited to see Michael Penix Jr. operate the offense for Indiana. Uh, like I said, I think he's a major up, uh, upgrade from uh, Peyton Ramsey at quarterback for Indiana. So I'm interested to see how he does. Watt Fillier, uh, that's, that's going to become one of my guys by the end of the season. I think he probably has a 50-yard bomb uh, within the first couple of drives. So I have a question for you. What's the final score of this one? 
Uh, based on the other games that we've seen from Rutgers, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go 45 to 7. <laughs> 45? You're, you're giving Rutgers 7 points, I well, see. Well, they scored against Maryland, so... <laughs> that is true. Um, I also believe that Indiana's going to win. I believe they're going to win big. I think we're going to see a lot of Peyton Ramsey because I think that uh, it'll probably be over by midway through the third. I'm going to say, I think Indiana's going to drop 50 on them. Oh, I'm going to say 50. I, th- I think that they drop eight touchdowns. I'm going to go 56 to three. I have no faith at all in Rutgers. I have all the faith in a very fun Indiana team. Moving on to our next game, uh, Maryland and Purdue. So you have a Purdue team that has, um, I mean, there there are more injuries on Purdue's you know injury report on a week to week basis than there were signatures on the Declaration of Independence. And you have Maryland, which they're bipolar. What even is this game? I think this is going to be a close game. <laughs> I have no idea why I feel that way. <laughs> but I feel like Maryland is going to come out and be like, okay, this team literally has nobody on their team, so we're going to come out and beat them. And I think they're going to surprise Maryland and not win, but I think it's going to be a, a slugfest. And I'm, I'm honestly praying for a slugfest because – these noon games don't really look too encouraging for me. <laughs> no, I'm just—I'm gonna just tell you that right now. So they're, I really, they're not—they're really, not, not turning your crank. They're not—they're not doing no. much for you. <laughs> uh, there hasn't been one good noon game this season. There yeah, hasn't been. Right. Like, there has been zero good noon games. So I don't understand. I, you know what? I, I'm kind of glad they have all the not good games at noon because. I literally would not be happy to sit through a game where it's these teams playing specifically at 7.30 at night. <laughs> it, was a, it was a crime that we even had to watch Nebraska and Ohio State play a couple weeks ago, or last week at night. Uh, it was a crime. But anyway, back to this game. Uh, I, th- I don't think – I'm not a buyer in Josh Jackson anymore. I'm kind of off that bandwagon. Um, I think he – plays good against the bad teams and doesn't play well against the good teams. And I, I, I will pretty much say the same thing while he was at Virginia Tech. Um, it's really, it really hasn't changed. And I don't think – I think this is another fringe bowl team. Um, and there are a lot of fringe bowl teams in this conference, man. They're yeah. just – they're just – they're too many. I'm going to pick Maryland to win. Let's go with 28 to 27. I want to pick Purdue so bad just so that we're different on this. Like, I really do, because if you think about it, like, we, I, I mean, I picked Northwestern to win last week, and that was our one kind of difference, and I, and I was almost right. But, I mean, like I said, there are so many injuries, but Maryland is just, there's such, such a mirage of a team, and Maryland is always due for another letdown. And I just, I can't imagine Purdue losing out. And Maryland has no pass rush anyway, so they don't have to worry about, like, uh, Jack Plummer getting sacked 37 times. I'm going to take Purdue in this one. Mm. 
I'm going to say Purdue wins this 41 to 38. I can't give you an explanation as to why. <laughs> I just have a feeling. I trust more in the coaching of Jeff Brom than I trust in the coaching of Blockley as a head coach. Yeah, I don't really think I don't really think it's a him thing. I really think it's the players just not used to being the system and well the system and just being good. <laughs> also, also Maryland Maryland does this. They start off like 2 and 0, 3 and 0. Then they kind of you look mid-season and it's like, "Oh, Maryland's now 3 and 4." So, I mean, I think that this is a game that they'll probably let up, they'll overlook, they'll think, "Oh, you know, because of the injuries." And I think that an inspired Purdue team with those badass uniforms, they're going to moonwalk into that sta- into their own stadium and moonwalk out celebrating a victory over a pretty pathetic Maryland team. Moving on to a game that should be fun. In fact, I think this is clearly the kick back on your couch with a cold one game of the week. Michigan State at Wisconsin. Is Wisconsin the second best team in the conference? No, because I think they're going to lose this week. Ooh. That's my hot take for this week. That is a sizzling hot take, man. So let me, uh, let me, let me, explain, let me explain why. I don't believe in Jack Cohn, Wisconsin's quarterback. And okay. we're about to get ready, get ready into this conversation about the front seven against Wisconsin's offensive line. I think Michigan State's front seven showed you they are pretty damn good. And oh, we've known that. I I know, but like they showed it against Ohio State, um, and I think they take. A lot of positives. They just weren't. They just didn't have enough to be Ohio State. Ohio State's just a juggernaut. Yeah, I think Michigan State may have turned a corner here, and I know it's weird to say, but they always play better against better competition. The Arizona State loss is inexcusable. The um, that game was just inexcusable. I mean, they they handled Northwestern, um, and Northwestern is being pretty tough to has been pretty tough to Wisconsin and Nebraska last couple weeks. So uh, looking back on that, that win was seems like an anomaly now with Northwestern. Um, I'm a real believer in Michigan State, and I know they had a tough environment against Ohio State at the blackout, um, and they are just supremely talented everywhere. Michigan State has a lot of young guys. Uh, their corners aren't that great. Um, but I don't, I don't think that really matters against Wisconsin because I think I don't think Wisconsin is as good as advertised on offense. I know their defense is pretty good. Uh, Chris Orr, Zach Bond, uh, those guys on Wisconsin's defense are really good. I don't think their offense is going to do much because I think Michigan State bottles up Jonathan Taylor, and that they have to use the same kind of blueprint they had against Dobbins this, this past week uh, where they kind of had him bottled up for the first quarter before he ex- eventually exploded. And I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have his runs, but I think Michigan State limits it and forces third and long situations for uh, Wisconsin's offense and uh, Jack Cohn. And like I said, I don't, I'm not a believer in him. I don't think he is there at that level yet. And I, I find myself liking Michigan State more and more every week. 
I was gonna oh, Lee Corso you, <laughs> but I'm not going to. But I will say this: I, I am going to quote the great show, The West Wing, because Devin, I think that you can just stand there in your wrongness and be wrong and get used to it. Because Wisconsin is the second best team in the conference. I know you're a Penn State fan because you live in the area and you work and you cover the team. But stand there in your wrongness and be wrong and get used to it because I think Wisconsin is going to be able to win the Battle of the Trenches against a very good front seven for Michigan State. This is going to be a very fun game to watch. I actually expect a lot of points. I think that at times Michigan State has shown some cracks, and I think Wisconsin just honestly off the strength of that run game can put up enough points to eke out a victory. I'm saying Wisconsin takes this one, 8 to 26. I have Michigan State 21-17. All right. So the, last week we were different on one game. We've been different on two in a row right now. And, uh, well, I think the streak ends there because the next game is Penn State versus Iowa. Um, question. They couldn't, la they couldn't stop... Uh, Michigan's really mediocre pass rush at all last week. And they struggled against him last year. Can Alaric Jackson or Tristan Wirfs contain Yitor Gross Matos? I don't think uh, Jackson will be able to stop him. And I think he's just not there yet in terms of health. Just watching him play... On this past Saturday, he looked really sl slow off the ball, and he just isn't getting to his kickbacks fast enough. And Gross Matos and Shaka Tony are both still kind of young, but they are they create havoc. And I don't really see it changing this week. I think Worfs has a better week. I think Iowa as an offensive line plays a lot better than they did in Michigan last week. That was also a factor playing in uh, the big house. And they'll be playing at home in front of a sellout crowd, no doubt. Um, and I think they'll play better, but I don't think they'll be able to neutralize that pass rush of Penn State. Um, and I think Penn State is going to bring pressure. Because they play man defense just like Michigan does on the outside, and their corners are pretty good. And I'm not. Oh, sorry, God. And I was outside threats aren't really showing up. And there were granted there were some drops in those last couple drives for Iowa last week against Michigan. Um, and Nate Stanley just literally had to fling it before he was ready because he had no time to throw at all last season, or oh, last week, excuse me. But I think Penn State's defense is just too much to handle. I mean, they just have so many layers. They really haven't played a full game outside of the pick game. And even in the pick game, they were rotating guys constantly. So this is the first game that Penn State will really have to play their starters for the majority of the game. And that could smell doom for... Iowa. Etor's going to get another three sacks, isn't he? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, no? I, think, I think he has maybe one or two this week. I think they're going to have C sacks from other guys. And they're going to bring 
blitzes from different positions to kind of change it up. Because if they try to do the same exact things that Michigan does, I will have prepared for it. So I think they bring in a different wrinkle this week and kind of bring pressure from different levels. The only thing I'll say to that is that if you can't stop Quitty Pay, you're, you're not stopping Yitor Grossmatos. Uh, my, my second and last um, point on this game, he's not draft eligible, but man, has he caught my eye whenever I watch Penn State. Micah Parsons, the linebacker. Is he the next great linebacker in Penn State folklore when you're yeah. so good at reading the offense? Oh, I, I just, I'm gushing over him for the 2021 draft already, bro. Like, Yeah, he, he's really good. Uh, there's, there's really no doubt about it. Uh, he got ejected for targeting, I think, against Maryland uh, in the first half. But, I mean, really outside of that point, there's been really no bad things to say about him. I mean... He, he's pretty much doing his job, and I think he, he's going to be big against Iowa's run game this week because Iowa has to get their run game going to have a chance in this one. Yeah, so uh, time to pick it, and I'm going to say that Penn State, they're just just—they're such a bizarre team to pick because they're so inconsistent. They're wildly inconsistent, but I just... If the pass rush is like they were last week and Iowa's offensive tackles are like they were last week, this game will not be close. I'm going to say that Penn State takes this one 35-17. I think Iowa playing at home has a big factor. Their home crowd is really spectacular in what they do. Uh, I think at the end of the first quarter when they wave to the children, the children, children's hospital, Iowa. I love that. I think, I think that's the best tradition in college football. Uh, just how well Pitt State's defense is playing. Uh, I have to pick them 24 to 17. So you've got this being a little bit closer. I, I think that Penn State handles it. I think you're also trying to maybe not come across a, like a homer because you cover them so closely. Well, all right, and then our last game to preview is Minnesota hosting Nebraska. Now, I have two questions about Minnesota that kind of blend together. Uh, the first one is, how is this team not ranked? I think no one... They're 5-0. No, and one, no one respects them. And like, 3-2 and two Texas A&M is ranked. And I get it, SEC and Texas A&M, and they were ranked coming into the year. They're 3-2. and two. Like, UCF, like, sucks, and for a while was ranked ahead of Minnesota. Now, like, Minnesota, according to the ESPN poll, is, like, the next team out of the top 25, but they just they just need to be ranked, man. I know that they haven't had impressive wins, but 5-0 and is still 5-0, and and they're a Power 5 team. There's just no way they can't be Arizona ranked. State, like, 18th. Man, they don't respect them at all. No. Virginia, they got stomped by by Notre Dame. Like these teams do not deserve to be ahead of Minnesota. Well, I guess they gotta beat Nebraska to prove it. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely do. I think that they will. We'll get to that in a second. And I think the main reason they beat uh, Nebraska is because I don't think Nebraska can stop this new-look, hybrid, 
spread offense at times, power run game at times, go for offense because it you don't know which one you're going to face. Are they going to try to you know run the ball down your throats or is Tanner Morgan going to go 30 of 33 for five touchdowns on you? It, it reminds me about the way they game plan reminds me of the Patriots because they can be a team that throws like 40, 50 times in the game, but then they come back next game, throw run the ball 30, 40 times. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Like they're so talented. And I think they're the best kept secret in the big 10. Um, and it's so good. And the big 10 West is wide open right now. I mean, you got Wisconsin, Iowa just lost and Minnesota is right there. So, now my my next question that I think that I got sidetracked while I was bitching about the polls. Uh, how high in the conference do you rank the Gophers? I have my power rankings article, so I'm not going to spoil. But how high would you rank them? Right now, hmm. Well, you you got Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Penn State top three. I could easily see them in top five. Um. Uh-huh. Behind Michigan State? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I will have Michigan State above them only because they played better teams. And Minnesota really doesn't play anybody tough until late October. So I had Minnesota last week. Uh they were at eight. They moved up to six last week, and they were behind Michigan State and Iowa. I think, I think they're moving ahead of Iowa. I think they're. I think they're a little bit better than Iowa. I don't think they're better than Michigan State, but I think they're somewhere in the middle, which is why I have them at like five right now at this point. Um, Iowa looked really unimpressive. And after that, I mean, Michigan is Michigan. Uh, yeah, I'd say five um, at this point. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it because I have my article that will come out later in the week, probably Thursday or Friday that you can catch on Whole Nine Sports. Um, so, yeah, we both kind of agree that Nebraska is not going to be able to stop this offense, right? So why don't we, why don't we pick this one? You go first. Minnesota thirty-five to ten. Uh, oh shit! <laughs> Sorry, I haven't cussed in a while, but jeez, oh, I was not expecting a a margin of victory like that. One uh, matchup I'm watching, just for kind of my sake, is Lamar Jackson against Tyler Johnson. Uh, Lamar Jackson, he's been he has the most passes uh, deflected this season which is all well, in the Big Ten, at least, um, which is weird. He has, like, nine. Um, and he really didn't look that great against Ohio State. He got cooked a few, a few times. But he had the, the game uh, kind of go-ahead interception against uh, Northwestern. And he, he's really been their best cover guy um, this season. So I'm interested to see that matchup, but I don't think Nebraska's offense does anything again this week. Maybe they have a resurgence, but if Adrian Martinez is at any point hobbled, they're doomed because 
the threat of him running uh, makes defenses nervous, nervous, but I don't think he'll be healthy enough to do that. So that's why I have a big margin of victory. I think uh, Minnesota has another big day rushing. I hear you, but 28-24, I think that Nebraska will be able to put up points. But, I mean, that Gophers defense is also still pretty good. It's leaky, but it's good. I just, I think it's really close. So, let's get into some questions. We had two sent our way. And again, for any future podcasts, you can uh, tweet us at Big Shots Podcast. B1G uh, is how big is spelt. Just like the the stylization for the conference. So the first one is uh, from our buddy Justin Rochat. Why did I underrate J.K. Dobbins? Like, so why did me, Mike Hernishan, why did I underrate J.K. Dobbins going into the year when I said on the whole nine podcast back in July he was my running back eight at the time? Well, it's simple, Justin. Uh, his his tape in 2018 was not good. He was dynamic as a freshman. Last year as a sophomore, he was clearly the backup. And he kind of seemed either out of shape, injured. He just he didn't have that same explosiveness. He seemed sluggish. And he's really turned that around this year. And he's become, honestly, one of the four best running backs in the country. And he's inching really close to potentially overtaking um, one of the big three and going into, like, first-round territory. And then we're going to close out on this one, and it was from, uh, who was it from? Uh, our editor over at Whole Nine Sports, Matt Bowen. Why doesn't Michigan switch up their quarterback? Obviously, Patterson is not the answer. Well, there's, there's a three-word <laughs> response that we tweeted out, and I still feel the same way as I did a couple of hours ago when I tweeted that. Because they're Michigan. Like, Harbaugh is stubborn. He's going to continue to beat his head against a wall, and he'll never learn because he's got full autonomy in a job he shouldn't have full autonomy, and they'll do what they'll cave to anything he wants because it's Harbaugh at Michigan. It's really a crime to Michigan fans out there. Uh, and I really don't like Michigan. I really haven't liked Michigan historically <laughs> because of the way that the media continues to gravitate towards them and give them this top 25 ranking. When we clearly said they shouldn't have been ranked in the top 25 after they barely beat Army. They shouldn't have been ranked after that loss to Wisconsin. They still, I mean, they, they probably would have climbed back into the rankings this week being Iowa. I mean, Iowa doesn't even look like they deserve to be ranked right now. Um, it's, it's just Shea Harrison or die at this point. And I think they're just going to die on the hill, Shea Harrison. And we kind of seen this with Michigan quarterbacks under John Harbaugh. Uh, Jim yeah, Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. He just will not go from a guy that is a senior and has played so many games or whatever. And we continue to continue to see these big games. He doesn't respond. 
Like, like it, it'll be this would be Dylan McCaffrey's team if he didn't get a concussion. Let's be let's be real here. It, you would hope. But once again, it goes back to that nostalgia thing that they they're going to stick with their guy. And Alex Katzen, he's a big uh, Michigan uh, fan, and he uh, says uh, like, "You go ahead." Like you know, Michigan fans, I I know a lot through you know uh, their different ways, and like they're all just miserable because this team is miserable, and it's been miserable for really Harbaugh's entire time. I just don't understand why the quarterback play has been so bad, like historically bad. Like they, you, I can't name, I cannot name another Michigan quarterback off the top of my head. I, I think we should cut it here before either of us just get depressed having to talk to <laughs> more and more about Michigan. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Um, again, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Spencer WNS. You can find Devin on Twitter at Real D underscore Jackson. Follow the show at Big Sh- uh, Big yeah, Big Shots Podcast. That's a mouthful to say at midnight. Follow our work at WholeNineSports.com. And uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. Uh, Devin, you've got a couple articles that are out or coming out. I've got a ton of articles coming out in the next week or so. Um, but we will hope and pray to the football gods that we get some interesting football this week. Take care, guys.